Welcome to the Church 214 podcast. We're glad that you've joined us today. We hope that you enjoy today's message. And if you'd like to find out more about our church, please visit our website at church214.org. Hey, church, how are you? We could chat all night long. You know, my nervousness has transformed over since I've been preaching. I don't know how long I've been preaching for, but it was like the nervous sweats and like the shaky hands. And now it's turned into like the nervous pee where I have to like go to the bathroom every five seconds. That's what it feels like anyways. I was like, I can't miss Ben's story. And after he was done, I was like, to the bathroom. Couldn't hold it any longer. Um, Dalton and I have loved evening church. <laughs> um, it has taken some sacrifice. I'm not going to lie about that. Um, my kids go to bed a little later, but it's definitely worth it. Um, it's like we have a whole extra day. I've got to watch my boys wrestle more, sleep, take good naps on time. So that's one benefit, right? It's been so, so good. I hope it's been good for you too. Um, I wanted to start off my message today asking you a question. And my hope is by the end of my message, you will have an answer to this question. You guys ready for it? What are you ingesting? What are you taking in? Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for this space, Lord. I thank you that you have provided every single space for us, Lord. I thank you that um, you bring the people that are supposed to be here, God. And I pray um, that these words would touch every heart, God, because they're not mine. They're yours, Lord. And you brought the people here who need to hear your voice, God, and who need to hear your word and what you have to say. And so I thank you for that, Jesus. I thank you for what you're going to do. I thank you in advance for the healings and the restoration um, that we're going to see tonight. It's in your name we pray. Amen. We're continuing in our flavor series. Mike kicked us off, stole mine. That's the one I originally wanted, but God was clearly doing something in me, and Mike did a fantastic job. He did, um, Saul and Chris actually did meet last week, both excellent messages. You can go to church214.org backslash podcast and listen there, or you have the beauty of going to Facebook and seeing our faces. Nothing like seeing someone's face when they preach. Today we're going to be talking about bread. Bread has been so significant to me in the last two weeks, and you have to stay and hear what it's, what's been going on. I'm going to wait to tell you that, so don't dart out. No, you did not show up for a cooking class. I'm the last person <laughs> that you want to take a cooking class from. My cooking is mediocre, and some of you in this room are coming over for dinner this week. So this is a warning. You might have to go home and snack. You came to learn about this. My husband's laughing. Stop. You came to learn about the significance of bread. Most of us in here have heard the term um, the bread of life, and that specifically refers to Jesus. In John 6, he says, I am the bread of life. And today we're actually going to take a deeper look in what John 6 says. John 6 starts off with the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. And if you've been following Jesus for any period of time, I'm sure you know this story. A huge crowd had been following Jesus wherever he went because they saw the miraculous signs as he healed the sick. 
I don't know about you, by a show of hands, who would have been in the crowd? I am a youth leader, teacher. I need participation. Would you be in the crowd if Jesus was performing a miracle? That's right. You know, I'm sure it meant he was doing miracles all day because he just didn't perform one miracle and call it a day and go home and sit on the couch. It was growing dark, and the people were getting hungry. But to feed 5,000 people, where would they find food? When you have a big event, you cater, and you cater, you call the caterer months in advance. This was not like that. But Jesus had a plan to feed them because he's Jesus. John 6, 8 through 11. Then Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. There's a young boy here with five barley loaves and two fish. But what good is that with this huge crowd? Tell everyone to sit down, Jesus said. So they all sat down on the grassy slopes. The men alone numbered 5,000. Then Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks to God, and distributed them among the people. Afterward, he did the same with the fish, and they all ate as much as they wanted. This is like me taking this loaf of bread and breaking it and giving you each a piece of bread. But the difference was is that when Jesus did this, it filled the people. This is not enough to fill you. Jesus tells them to sit in the grassy slopes, and it reminds me of Psalm 23, which Psalm 23, you're already saying it in your head. The Lord is my, I have all that I, very good. He lets me rest in green meadows or green grassy slopes. He leads me beside, and he renews my, very good. That's on the screen, isn't it? Jesus was doing more than feeding 5,000 people. He was physically nourishing them, and he was spiritually nourishing them, whether they knew it or not. Jesus uses the authority that he has in this situation. He directs the people, and he does a miracle. He uses the authority that God has given him, the same authority that God has given you and God has given me. And some of y'all, you're sleeping on your authority. You're sawing logs. Some of you are sitting back and missing opportunities to use the authority that God has given you. Because you wish you could use it in the way you wanted or the way she's doing it or the way he's doing it or the way they're doing it. Or maybe it's too hard or it's too much or you're too tired. Let me tell you something. You have authority, and if you're not going to let God use you, he will use someone else. He'll use your neighbor. He'll use your best friend. He'll use any willing heart. I just want to talk about some places that you have authority. Okay, some of you are saying, well, where do I have authority? Let me tell you. You have authority over your home. This looks like many things. The authority to speak into your child's life. The authority to teach your child about Jesus. The authority to pray against the enemy when he comes at your child in his sleep. The authority to speak and uplift your child. The authority to direct your child in the way he or she should go. The authority to discipline your child. If you are not the authority in your child's life, the world will be. 
you have to take this seriously. For those of you who have a home and you're waiting for children or you're waiting for a spouse, you still have authority over your home or your apartment or your townhouse or wherever you live. You have the authority to create a home that is safe. The authority to create a home that is welcoming to others. You have the authority to bring the presence of Jesus into your home. You have authority in your workplace. It's not Jesus is at church on Sunday and then I'm wherever I want to be Monday through Saturday. You carry the presence of Jesus into every situation you walk into. You have authority to speak life over your coworkers. You have authority to stand up against the wrongful way people are treated. You have authority to do business the right way. You have authority to mentor others. You have authority in your marriage. You have the authority to speak over your spouse. You have the authority to pray over your spouse, to build your spouse up, and even call your spouse out. Let's hope they receive well. Because I know y'all aren't married. You have authority over your relationship. You have authority to speak good things over your significant other. You have authority to lead your girlfriend well. You have authority to set up healthy boundaries. Goes both ways. Both of you can do that. You have authority in your school. You have authority to stand up for others. You have authority to speak and encourage the lives of your peers. You are not exempt because you're young. What's the Bible say in 1 Timothy? Don't let anyone think less of you because you're young. Be an example to all believers in what you say, in the way you live, in your love, your faith, and your purity. Clearly, I'm not the oldest person in the room. We won't say who is. Actually, I don't even know. Uh, maybe my dad. I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, I'm totally kidding. Sorry, Dad. Okay, so... I am one of the youngest girls on the teaching team. My friend Katie and I, um, you're just a little bit younger than me, but we're one of the, we're the youngest too. And it would be so easy for me to be like, everybody else has known Jesus longer. They've read their Bible more today or whatever it might be. But God's called me here, so I have authority here. Another situation is Ben was just up here, and I have spiritual authority on this stage over him. But then I walk in the gym on Tuesdays and Thursdays, and he's coaching me, and he has authority over me so I don't hurt myself because I am a little old. <laughs> right, Ben? Not only that, Ben has authority over 30-year-olds, 40-year-olds, 50-year-olds. But here's the deal. His voice still matters. His presence still matters. My voice, my presence still matters. Whether you're young or you're old, you're needed. Your voice is needed. You cannot flavor the world with your eyes closed. It is time for you to wake up and use your authority. Don't know what your authority is? You get alone with Jesus in a quiet space and you say, Lord, what, where do you want to use me? I am willing. 
and he will use you, and you go and you obey. My dear friend Rochelle preached at um, Youth 2.14 a couple weeks ago. It was actually just last week. And I love what she said. She said, you will flavor the world with Jesus or the world will flavor you. You will flavor the world with Jesus or the world will flavor you. And it stopped me. And I thought, what? What am I ingesting? What am I taking in? We're going to pick back up in John 6, verse 22. This actually happens right after Jesus feeds the people. The next day, the crowd that was left behind realized there had only been one boat and that Jesus had not gotten into it with his disciples. They had seen them go off without him. By now, boats from Tiberias had pulled up near where they had eaten the bread blessed by the master. So when the crowd realized he was gone and wasn't coming back, they piled into the Tiberius boats and headed for Capernaum looking for Jesus. When they found him back across the sea, they said, Rabbi, when did you get here? Because that makes a lot of sense. Jesus' response is so good and direct, and I need to take some lessons from him, and some of us in here need to as well. He says, you came looking for me. Not because you saw God in my actions, but because I fed you. I filled your stomachs and I did it for free. These crowds admired Jesus because of what he gave them materially. They were not moved by full hearts, but by full stomachs. We are guilty of this, some of us in this room. You show up Sunday night, Wednesday night youth group, and you lift your hands And you sing and you say, God, you can have my heart. Then you walk out the door, you shut your door, you drive home. And you wonder why Monday through Saturday feels so heavy, why life feels so hard. The approval of your weekday job will not fill you. The Sunday Evening church service, the Sunday morning church service, will not sustain you through the week. The one Bible verse you read for the day is not enough to satisfy you. The relationship you are in will not sustain you. Your marriage and your children are not meant to fulfill you. You must feast on the word of God. Jesus wants to do more than just hold you over. He wants to end your hunger and your searching forever. Matthew 4, 4. But Jesus replied, it has been written, man shall not live and be upheld and sustained by bread alone, but by every word that comes forth from the mouth of God. John 6, 35 again, Jesus replied, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. I've been reading um, this fasting book here for the last few weeks, and she uses some context, and if you're taking notes, now's a really, or if you're not taking notes, now's a really good time, because I believe this is so, so powerful. She talks about snacking, feasting, and the dessert, Okay, so snacking would be when you pull open your phone after you scroll through Instagram 
and you look at the Bible verse of the day, and that's your snack, okay? Feasting on the Word of God is going to be when you sit down and you spend time reading a chapter, journaling, time with the Lord that's more than two seconds of looking at a verse, okay? All of these things are needed. And then a dessert is actually the experiences that you have with Jesus in encouraging verses. You know those experiences when you have goosebumps or tears just start streaming down your, fa- streaming down your face and you're like, where is this coming from? That's an experience with Jesus. When your heart is pulling you to lift your hands or go at the altar, it's this feeling of I don't want anything else but this. You need all three of those things for your relationship with Jesus. You can't just open your Bible app. Oh, God so loved the world. He gave his only son. Great. Okay. Go off to work. Do the things that you want to do. And then by the end of the day, you're like, God, I didn't spend any more time with Jesus. It's the Bible verse right before you head out to the gym, right before you go to work, right before you drop your kids off at school, right before your other kids get up for the day. And then the feasting is, is when you sit down at nap time or at lunchtime or at study hall, if that's even a thing with COVID, I don't know. And then the experiences that you have with Jesus, those can happen inside the church, outside the church. All of those things are important. What are you taking in? What are we ingesting? What are we allowing in our lives? What is taking the place of Jesus in your life? What are you using to hold you over for a little while? I love what Chris said last week. What are you communing with? We have one life. That's it. The only thing that should have our attention is Jesus. The only thing that we will ever be fully satisfied with is Jesus. Dalton and I have had one of the hardest years, like some of you in this room. 2020 was full of anticipation for us, but quickly we started seeing God close doors. Dalton was pulled from my nine-month deployment. We recently lost a baby. We recently lost a baby. And the pressure of the world was screaming. And all I wanted to do was hit a reset button. I needed a reset, and I needed to make sure that my spirit and my heart were fixed on Jesus. So for the last two weeks, I've been fasting from sugar, all forms of sugar, processed sugar, pasta, and even bread. It's kind of ironic, isn't it? Fasting is mentioned time and time again in the Bible, and it's a tool that each of us can use. It is a tool that you can use. The Bible's full of tools we can use. we got to start using them better. When you fast, you feast on the bread of life. Fasting is the reset button. That's why I went there. Um, There's two books that I just want to um, give you a tool. 
So you can take a picture of this after church. You can come chat with me. You can find them on Amazon. So the first one is Fasting by Jensen Franklin. This is just really good. It says, access the power of biblical fasting and transform your life. So this is one of the first books I've read. And then this is my current read. (laughs) It's actually a devotional. It's 40 days, or I'm sorry, the 40-day sugar fast. And if you know me, 40 days of no sugar is hard. (laughs) I did not grow up knowing how to fast. I didn't see it done in the church that I grew up in. So as I've become an adult, it's actually something I've had to learn. And it's something I've needed for my relationship with Jesus. We can't use excuses to keep us from experiencing God. Levi Lesko states, these things can happen when you fast. You can get out of a rut. It helps you hear heaven's music. And it boosts your reception. We have to be willing to be disrupted. We have to be willing to be uncomfortable to experience God. And for far, far too long, the church has associated uncomfortable with the enemy. And that's exactly what Satan wants. In case you need a reminder, Jesus was stinking uncomfortable on the cross. Sometimes being uncomfortable is right on the edge of experiencing God. Sometimes being uncomfortable is right on the edge of breakthrough. Sometimes being uncomfortable is right on the edge of healing. Sometimes being uncomfortable is right on the edge of restoration. Sometimes being uncomfortable is right on the edge of experiencing God, and we have to shift our mindset. As a young adult, I traveled to South America for a missions trip. My sister's laughing. She knows where this is going. And um, I was sitting on a bus. It was stinking hot because buses don't have air conditioning. Oh, my word. Somebody fixed that 2020. And I will never forget sitting there and, like, watching people speak in tongues. And I was like, heck no. Get me off this bus and back in America. Because America, we don't speak in tongues, right? (laughs) And I remember texting my sister and being like, these people are nuts. Um, I came back to Peoria. And we went to a youth event at a local church here in Peoria. And I'm standing in the balcony. And I'm like, oh, shoot. They're speaking in tongues. I am uncomfortable. I'm ready to go going to start backing out. But over the last six years, I have watched this happen in our church, a church that I love with people that I trust. I've heard stories of one person speaking in tongues and another person interpreting. I've been in rooms where I have seen this unfold with my own eyes. Had I stayed in my uncomfortable box, I would be missing out on how God intimately speaks to his people. And you can bet that I'm practicing that spiritual gift, but that is a message for another day. Fasting has to be implemented in our lives better. As Christians, we should be cutting things out to make more room in our life for God. Chris talked about um, Hananiah, Mishael, and Ezariah last week. And they were given new names, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And I was so annoyed that for most of my life, I've just thought of them as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But their God-given names were Hananiah, Meshach, and Azariah. These young boys were given worldly names by a worldly leader. 
But they were not defined by that. They fasted. And what happened? They became strong, spiritually strong. They interpreted dreams, which is still happening today. And they stood against the worldly issues. You have to give something up in order to depend on the Holy Spirit. You have to give something up to have a deeper need for the Holy Spirit. Fasting from material things is excellent. But true biblical fasting is from food and drink. And my friend, we were sitting at a wedding, and she said, we're all just a bunch of pansies. <laughs> yes, fasting from social media and Netflix and video gaming and even sugar are really, really good things. But when we fast from food and drink, we are reminded of the true bread. The true satisfaction that only comes from Jesus. I chose to fast because I realized that earthly bread and earthly things would never satisfy me the way Jesus does. I realized how quickly I ran to other things, to the refrigerator, and even rewarded myself before running to Jesus. I have been sustained and filled with scripture over the last 14 days. I have written them down and I put them on my walls. Deuteronomy talks about this. Things like taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you his holy people, for those who fear him lack nothing. Don't lack something, they lack nothing. Your words were found and I ate them. And your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart. Behold, God is my helper. The Lord is the upholder of my life. Cast your cares upon the Lord and he will sustain you. He will. He will never allow the righteous to be shaken. The real bread is Jesus. The real fulfillment is Jesus. We have to stop feasting on the world. We have to stop letting the world temporarily fill us. We have to let the Son of God, Jesus, sustain and transform us. If we do not have Jesus, if we do not have the bread of life, we have nothing. Romans 10, 9. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. My son has been watching toy videos on YouTube. <laughs> yeah. And um, he watches Growing Little Ones for Jesus, the Christian version, in case you were wondering. And at the very end, they write a song to this. And he's been singing it all week. I've never heard him sing it. I was like, the Lord brought me here. And I said, man, my kid was prophesying for Sunday, and I didn't even know it. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And I think there's some people in here who need Jesus. You've been thinking about it. Maybe you didn't even know him when you walked in. And after hearing this message, you want to lack nothing. So what we're going to do right now is everybody's going to close their eyes and we're going to pray.
And now is the time, if that is you, if you need Jesus, you just, you just simply say in the quiet of your heart, Jesus, I need you. Jesus, you're welcome here. I don't want to live another day without you. There's a whole bunch of angels and Jesus rejoicing in heaven. But I think Jesus wants to do a little more in this room. There's some people in this world who've had one foot in the kingdom and one foot in the world. And Jesus leaves the 99 for you. He leaves the 99 for you. There's nowhere you can't go. There's nowhere you can hide. That he won't find you. That he won't redeem you, forget everything. There is nowhere. You just need to turn your face to him. Hey, Lord, I messed up. Hey, Lord, I need you. I need you again. I need you to walk this life with me. Jesus, thank you for the fact that your presence is in this place, that you've fallen on this place. Thank you, Lord, that you love us so much that you would chase us down. You would pursue us and pursue us and pursue us. Thank you for hearing the cries of your people for your children to return to you. So we seal this in the heavenly realms, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. We're going to go ahead and move into a time of communion. John 6, 53. So Jesus said again, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of my the flesh of the Son of Man, and drink his blood, you cannot have eternal life within you. But anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise that person at the last day. For my flesh is the true food and my blood is the true drink. Anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. I live because of the living Father who sent me. In the same way, anyone who feeds on me will live because of me. I am the true bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will not die as your ancestors did, but will live forever. Practicing communion is a way to remember what Jesus did and to examine our hearts. Are you hungry to ingest the transforming and filling presence of Jesus? There's going to be some people that are actually going to come up and give you communion. But at the Last Supper, Jesus sat with his disciples and he broke the bread. And he said, this is my body broken for you. And then he filled the glass.
he gave thanks. And he said, this is my blood shed for you because I love you so much that I would go to the cross again and again and again. And I would leave the 99 for you over and over and over again. Those people can come on up. They're actually going to hand you communion. We're doing this a little bit differently. They're going to hand you communion, and they're going to remind you what God has said. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to kneel up here if you want. I want you to go stand back there and do it on your own. I want you to sit in your pew and do it on your own. I want you to do whatever you feel like God's asking you to do. Don't do this as a religious ceremony. Don't rush this time with Jesus. Take time to meet with him. Let's break bread, church.